He sent forth his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Psalm 107 verse 20. The message you're about to hear is a straightforward, down-to-earth and insightful teaching by Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward-Mills. Lady Reverend Adelaide serves under her husband, Bishop Dag Heward-Mills, as a pastor at the Lighthouse Chapel International. Lady Reverend Adelaide is a handmaiden of God and is privileged to have been used by God to pastor and to speak the Word of God, both nationally and internationally, to all ages and gender. She has a plethora of messages on many issues, experiences, and situations of life from God's perspective. Get ready to be transformed as you listen to this message by God's anointed handmaiden, Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward-Mills. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a joy, a blessing, and an honor it is to be here today at the Harvest House International Convention. I deem it an honor to be asked to contribute a quota to what God is doing in this conference. First of all, I want to give honor to God for making this conference possible, first of all, and for giving me the privilege of being a vessel that he can use in such a wonderful conference. I want to salute Bishop Dr. Kolinyati and Reverend Dr. Mrs. Seranyati for this vision and for providing leadership, even by putting this conference together in such difficult and straight times, like your theme says. I believe that these are difficult times because we can all see that something that we thought was in remote China, in Wuhan, suddenly became a global epidemic. And it wasn't just an epidemic, it has come with so many things in its wake. But in the midst of it all, I believe God is still on his throne and God is still providing leadership and guidance for his people. And God is expecting his servants and his people to show leadership in the times of crisis, to show light in the time of darkness, to show answers in the time of questions. And I pray that by the grace of God and the help of the Holy Spirit, that will be accomplished. I also want to salute all the renowned and esteemed men of God and women of God taking part in this conference. I pray that God will bless you even more, honor you even more, and use you for his glory and his glory alone. Thank you so much. Shall we pray? Our Father, we want to thank you for this time in your presence. Father, we are in the presence of no one but you. Your word says, unto you and unto no man shall the gathering of the people be. Thank you that today we are gathered from so many nations and so many avenues to come and learn at your feet. Thank you, Lord, for your word that never changes. Your word says heaven and earth will pass away, but as for your word, it will never pass away. Lord, the entrance of your word brings light and gives understanding to the simple. 
Today, we ask you, Holy Spirit, to bring the light of God's word to our hearts and to our lives. Give us direction, Holy Spirit, for you said that you will lead us into all truth. And Father, by the unction of your Holy Spirit on this vessel of clay, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. I pull down every stronghold that stands in opposition to your word. And I say, Holy Spirit, Father, by your power, let this vessel be anointed and let your word have free course and be glorified. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, um, for this segment, although we are still looking at the topic leadership in difficult times, my mandate has been to bring God's perspective on conflict resolution in marriage and, if you like, in relationships. I believe that there's a lot of war in the heavenlies, that as those who are not spiritual and those who don't know God are seeing everything as natural or maybe scientific and seeing it as something that a human solution will fix. I think that what is happening in the physical is a reflection of the war in the heavenlies. I mean, we thought that COVID was fine in Wuhan. Some of us have never, had never even heard of the name and we thought it was a cloistered thing somewhere, nothing to do with us, especially in Africa. And before we know, it's here. Not only that, there have been so many tornadoes, so many floodings, that even technology and forecasts have not been able to um, put under control. I believe that there's a major war between forces of darkness and the forces of light. But I'm consoled by the scripture because the Bible says, the light shines in darkness and the darkness does not overcome it. No matter the amount of darkness, no matter the struggles, no matter the hardships, no matter what is coming upon the earth, because the Bible says even at a point, men's hearts will fail as to what is happening. God is still on his throne, and the Holy Spirit is still providing leadership in the midst of hardship. And I pray that in spite of everything, we will hold on to his word, that we will walk by faith and not by sight, that, that the prayer that Peter prayed was prayed for, like Jesus prayed for Peter, is a prayer I also pray for you. He said, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you so that you will have money in your bank. Uh-uh. So that there's harmony all around you. Uh-uh. So that your faith may not fail. Because when our faith fails, then everything else has faith, failed. And our faith is in God's unchangeable word. So I pray that in this short time, God will revive our hearts, God will speak to us, and God will strengthen our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, conflict resolution in relationships and in marriage. Um, it's a very tall order, and um, it's going to take a lot of time to go through everything. But I believe that 
as God drops the nuggets, the Holy Spirit himself, who is the Spirit of God, will take the nuggets and water it and bring us a harvest. Amen. I am reading from Bishop Dyke's book, Problem Solving in Marriage. And my topic is handling conflicts or conflict resolution in marriage or relationships. Now, when God first made man and then woman, therefore, when God first created the marriage union, he put the home and the union in a garden. The amazing thing was that even though God gave them everything, the Bible says he said to them that they should tend, that's Adam and Eve, and they should dress the garden. This presupposes that even if your marriage is made in heaven, and even if your marriage is a garden, gardens have weeds, amen? Weeds grow whether the farmer puts weeds or not. In fact, Jesus says, the wicked one comes and he sows tares amongst the wheat. So every garden will have some tares. Every garden will have some weeds. And every garden will have to be dressed. That is why marriage is hard work. Because marriage was put in the garden, but every garden will have some weeds, some overgrown shoots, and you have to work on it. Now, many people who are misguided sometimes look at somebody else's relationship or marriage and say, oh, if I had this kind of husband, I will have this kind of marriage. Or if I had this kind of wife, I will have this kind of marriage. It may be true to some extent, but to a large extent, what you don't know is that the grass looks green on the other side because they mow it once in a while. They water it once in a while. They pick the weeds once in a while. And today I want to say that conflict resolution is the picking of the weeds, the picking of the shoots that can kill the real weeds, the picking out of the tears. That is what conflict resolution is about. And I'm praying that God himself will come through for us. I pray that every home, every relationship represented here, where the problems look intractable, the God of the impossible will come through for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, Paul said something in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 28. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 28. I hope you know where to find the books of the Bible. It is very important. But, and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. This is a prophecy from Apostle Paul. He says that those who marry will have trouble in the flesh. So some of the trouble is because of our disobedience. But some of the trouble also is just because you are in the flesh. For instance... Marriage is made up of a man and a woman. That alone can be enough 
grounds for trouble. If you allow it and if you don't see it from God's perspective. Because men and women are two incongruous things. They, they are so different. Sometimes I wonder why God put them together. But it's so that in his wisdom, they'll complement each other. Number two, you grew up in different homes, different perspectives, different ideas, different ways of honoring, different ways of celebration. Some of us, some people, there were no celebrations in your home at all. Not that it was your fault, but I've met people who say, oh, wow, mommy, you gave me a birthday present. In my house, my birthday passes like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Nobody even says anything. Nobody does anything. And then you marry. And your wife gets upset that you didn't remember her birthday. And you are wondering to yourself, is it a big deal? Because from where I'm coming from, there's no such thing as birthday celebration. And you even think she's being petty. Not because you want to be nasty, but because we have real differences. We have differences in temperaments. We have differences in opinions. There are so many things that make marriage <laughs> a, a difficult cocktail sometimes. But that same difference can also make the cocktail richer if we will allow the Spirit of God. So Paul said, they that shall marry shall have trouble in the flesh. Marriage is different from boyfriend and girlfriend or beloveds like we say in our church. Marriage is different from your relationship with your co-worker. Because your co-worker, when you go home, she doesn't mind if you put a wet towel on the bed or not because you don't even share that together. She doesn't share your finances with you. She doesn't care if you pay the children's fees or not. It's none of her business. She doesn't care if you greeted her or you remembered her birthday or not because she doesn't think that it's your duty. So all these things sometimes make people look and say, oh, I, I have a, an easier relationship with my co-workers. It's not always true. It's a deception if you look closely. But Paul says, they that shall marry shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you that. But he says that if you want to marry, marry. But know that you are going to live in a garden and you are going to have to tend the weeds. Amen. It is often pressure that reveals things that we can't see, especially even in relationships. Sometimes we ourselves don't even know ourselves till a certain pressure is introduced. Then you see yourself manifesting yourself and you say, hey, I never knew I was capable of this. That is why in Acts 28 verse 3, when Paul had gathered with the people, they put all the sticks together and then they introduced some heat to warm their hands. And when they were doing that, then the Bible says that a snake came out of the sticks and fastened itself on Paul's hand. That was when the people said, hey, this man has been a murderer before because he just shook his hand, the snake into the fire, and the snake died. Beloved, it's heat that shows you where the snake is. When the snake is among the sticks, you will never see it. But heat will, 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 will let you discover that there was a snake among the sticks. 
It is in trying times that relationships suffer. Statistics on BBC say that the lockdown led to more abuse. The lockdown led more to mental health issues. The lockdown led to other negative things. I would say the lockdown also led to a lot of positive things. People discovered their cooking and baking skills. People were forced to be together in one place and sometimes it built their relationships. But in the midst of the heat, snakes were discovered. And God wants to deliver us by teaching us how to resolve the conflicts, or if you like, the snakes that come our way. Amen. Therefore, what should be our approach to conflict? Conflict means you don't agree. Conflict means there's no flow. Conflict means sometimes you have not overcome a certain pain, a certain hurt, a certain betrayal, you know. Some of them, even when you remember today, tears come to your eyes. But there's a healing balm in Gilead. And God is teaching us as Christians how to stay with each other, how to stay with each other in marriage, our children, as church members, as fellow workers in his vineyard. Conflict resolution is very important, especially in trying times. Because in trying times, people have very short fuse and they can blow it at any time. So now, how do we approach conflict? Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Holy Spirit, thank you. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one, in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Hallelujah. Now, Paul was not writing to angels. Paul was not writing to sinless man. He was writing to his fellow Christians. And he said, brethren, if, in case, a man, a woman a fleshly person be overtaken in a fault. Wow. How can Christians be overtaken in a fault? Is it possible? How can somebody you call brethren be overtaken in a fault? Is it possible? It is possible. Because all flesh is as grass and the glory thereof as the flower that fades. The Bible says the grass withers and the flower fades. It is only the word of God that stands sure forever. And that's why we can stake our lives on it, beloved. So brethren, if a man, not if an angel, Hebrews chapter 5, 1 says, Every high priest taken from among men, although a person may be a high priest, he may be an apostle, he may be the pope, he may be a cardinal, he is a high priest and he is taken from among men. He is not taken from among angels. And this is something that Christians don't expect. And therefore, sometimes when they get married, they get shocked at the fleshliness of the other partner. 
But Hebrews 5.1 says, Every high priest taken from among men. Amen? Not taken from among the sinless. Not taken from among angels. Not taken from among heavenly beings. But taken from among men. Amen? I know some of you are saying, well, I'm not a high priest. So Lady Reverend, it doesn't apply to me. But the Bible says we are a royal priesthood. Amen? A holy nation. Every high priest is taken from among men and is ordained for men. So those of you who marry thinking that life will be perfect, your partner will be perfect, when you are not perfect, I have news for you. If a man be overtaken in a fault, it means that all flesh can be overtaken in a fault. All flesh can be faulty, like your faulty freezer, faulty. They can be faulty. We can be faulty. He says, if any man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual. So it means that, yes, every high priest is taken from among men. But because of his divine nature, we get to be spiritual by his grace and by his presence in our lives. So he said, brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, do what? Restore such a one. Restore. Beloved, it is only something that has been lost that can be restored. So if the Bible says restore such a one, it means that something has been lost. Something is missing. So restore such a one. So it's given us the action to take, you know. But the scripture doesn't stop there. It shows us the attitude we should have when we are taking the action of restoration. It says restore such a one. How? In a spirit of meekness. Amen? This is absent in Christian relationships. Whether it be in the church, whether it be in marriage, we do not restore. And we do not restore in a spirit of meekness. Meekness is humility. Meekness is not being arrogant about it. Meekness, because usually your anger is from arrogance. How dare you talk to me like this? Do you know who I am? I am not saying what the person is saying is right. But when you see that the person has been overtaken in a fault, your wife has been overtaken in a fault, your husband has been overtaken in a fault, your aim and my aim should be restoration, not condemnation, not putting down, not setting aside, not ruling the relationship, but restoration. That's what Christ is all about. But as Christian couples, as Christians related to each other in the church of God, is restoration our aim at all? We want the other party to know how ugly, how sinful, and how broken they are. But that is not God's way. He says, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness. The spirit with which you do something is the attitude in which you do it. With a spirit of meekness. And unfortunately, most of the time, what is our strength is our partner's weakness. Because opposites attract. Different temperaments often are attracted to each other. 
For instance, if you have a melancholic temperament, I don't think I'll have the time to go into that so much, but if you have a melancholic temperament, you put everything right, you like order, then you get attracted and you marry a sanguine who scatters everything. Now, it becomes your life's work to put the sanguine together. And when you are doing that, you don't do it in a spirit of restoration. You do it like, so can't you just put your shoes here? So can't you just stop hanging the things everywhere? Yes, the person must try. But even you, God, I'm working on you. Look at how long it has taken. And you are still some way. How much more human to human? So it says, restore in the spirit of meekness. Considering yourself also. Galatians 6 verse 1. Considering yourself also. This is what spouses don't do. They consider the other person. Nya, 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 nya. Later, Reverend, how do you know? Because I do counseling. And I do pastoral care. Somebody said, have you seen the devil before? Come and look in my bedroom. And one of our pastors said to him, if the devil is in your bedroom, then you are also a chief demon to be able to live with a, a devil for 15 years. Amen, somebody. So restore in a spirit of meekness. Let's reach out to the other person with restoration on our hearts. Let's reach out to the other person considering ourselves also. The Apostle Paul gives a reason why. Lest thou also be tempted. Today he is on shifts. Next week you are the one who will misbehave. Amen? And I think that if we had this approach, we would, we would, we would approach each other with a certain respect, a certain love, and a certain um, aim. To restore, not to destroy. Amen. Amen. The Bible says that speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in him in all things. It's not enough to just speak the truth. Amen. I hope you are coming along with me. And I hope you are understanding the things that I'm sharing at this moment. Amen, somebody. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. I think we should read it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Now, some of us are just interested in speaking the truth. Yes, speak the truth. Nobody is saying you should lie. But when you speak the truth, speak the truth in love. That is the spirit of restoration. Amen, brethren? That is the spirit of rest restoration. But speaking the truth in love. The book of John says that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth, it came through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ didn't really just bring truth. You are evil. You are bad. You have this problem. It's because of your attitude. 
It's because of your parents. It's because of this. We don't see ourselves as partners in building the other up. As partners in restoring the other person. As partners in the work that is involved in changing and improving human nature. But speaking the truth in love. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15. The truth must be spoken, but it must be in love. Let your words minister grace to the people that hear you. So, beloved, as husband and wife, as brother and sister, as pastor to pastor, as pastor to congregation, conflict resolution, we have to speak the truth in love. You see, God, in the book of Revelations, when he's... He's, you know, really marking down the churches. He also looks at their strengths. He said, oh, I know your patience and how you cannot suffer that woman called Jezebel to live. I know all that. I know your tribulation. I know how you are trying. Nevertheless, I have this against you because you have left your first love. But many of us, there's never praise in our mouth. Condemnation. Guilt. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Every woman, every man must come to that place where condemnation that does not come from God is no condemnation. That we walk in the fullness of his light. That we are strengthened that in Christ there is no condemnation. God loves us too much to leave us the way we are, but in him there is therefore no condemnation. To them that haven't missed it before. To them that are perfect, no. To them that are in Christ Jesus. Beloved, husbands and wives must do themselves this favor. Congregants must do themselves this favor. Brethren must do themselves this favor of speaking the truth in love. Why? That we may grow into him. Your relationship will grow when your partner's burden is your burden. Your partner's downside is your downside. Your relationship in Christ and with one another will go. So the first step in conflict resolution is that we must have the aim to restore. When we see faults, when we see wrongs, everybody has a left leg. When we see that, let our hearts be like the heart of the Savior towards restoration let our hearts be like the heart of Jesus towards grace and truth, not just truth. Let our hearts be speaking the truth in love so that we can grow thereby. We don't show a lot of grace to our partners. We show more grace to church members. We show more grace sometimes to people on the street who do worse things. Because when you are emotionally involved like that, the least thing is more painful than when there's no emotional tie. But beloved, let restoration and helping of our partners, let that be our aim and our hearts. And I believe that with that approach, that first step, God himself will give us grace. Remember that every high priest is taken from among men. Amen. One thing Galatians 6.1 also teaches you is that Faults are part of life. Faults are part of relationships. Faults are part of our existence in this world. 
Offense is part of life. Jesus said it is but impossible but that offense should come. Now, I'm not saying because of that, oh, offense is impossible. So every day I'll step on your leg. And when you say, ouch, I'll say sorry. And I'll step on it again. No. You will lose the person. Because the Bible says a brother offended is more difficult to be won than a city with bars. Amen, somebody. But we should learn that you are not marrying, you may be marrying Miss Universe, but she also has universal sins. You may be marrying Mr. Universe, but he also has universal shortcomings. Everybody has a left leg. So let's approach marriage knowing that it's just by the grace of God. Let him that thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. Therefore, let's approach our relationships with a spirit of meekness. And I believe that God will see us through. Amen. Now, when we have this attitude, this approach, and this way, Lady Reverend, does it mean all our problems have been solved? No. It doesn't mean that. Because Paul said, I tell you that they that shall marry shall have trouble in the flesh. Amen. So that is one of the first steps. The second step is, in conflict resolution, is the key of acceptance. I told you that all flesh is as grass, and the glory thereof is as the flower that fades. So yes, your spouse is lovely. Your spouse is sweet. Your spouse is wonderful. Your spouse is spirit-filled. What does the Bible say? We have this vessel in earthen vessels. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Earthen vessels are dirty. Earthen vessels are fragile. And even when we are trying, we make mistakes. Haven't you taken your mobile phone one day and then you are calling somebody and you call somebody else. And they say, oh, sorry, I don't know what I was thinking about. You, we are so prone to mistakes. In fact, we thank God for Lever Brothers, Unilever, Procter & Gamble, and all these people who make deodorant, who make uh, toothpaste, who make things for us to overcome our smelliness. Because naturally we smell. We don't have to do anything. We just have to sleep. When we wake up and we talk to you, you will fall under the power. Because in iniquity did our mothers conceive us. But the, the treasure is the presence of God and it's in earthen vessels. So we have to learn to accept certain things. Some conflicts go on and on and on and never end because we never accept certain things that that is how it is. In Jeremiah 13, verse 23, Jeremiah Chapter 13. Are you there? Jeremiah 13. Now you have iPad, so it's easier than when we did sword drill. Can the Ethiopian change his skin? Jeremiah 13, verse 23. Or the leopard his spots? Then may ye also do good that are accustomed to do evil. I said the second thing is that you need the key of acceptance. Accept your spouse. Accept that you are in an imperfect church. Accept that you will be hurt sometimes. 
Accept that as they betray Jesus, they will betray you. Accept that it is impossible, but that offenses may come. Accept that you cannot change another human being, let alone yourself. That's why Jeremiah 30, 23 says, Can the Ethiopian change his skin? Even when people want to bleach their skin, you look at their elbows, you look at their ears, you see that they were born black. Amen? And black is beautiful. Amen? And so we learn that we have to accept certain things that you can't change. For instance, you can't change the temperament of your spouse. God made us. It's like the color of your skin, the color of your eyes, the color of your hair. God made the person choleric. God made this person melancholic. God made this person sanguine. He has been with his mother and father all these years, up to the age of 25. They have not been able to change him or her. Now you just came on the scene, and your life's work is that you have stopped everything, and you are not going to enjoy your relationship till the person changes into your image. Beloved, you have taken upon yourself a job that only God can do. Because what does the Bible say? It says that we are changed from glory into glory by God. He changes us from glory. And even sometimes we ourselves want our progress to be faster. But it is not so. The Apostle Paul said, in this tabernacle, we groan. We groan. So we need to know the key of acceptance. Accept that a woman is different from a man. Accept that you are different temperaments. Accept that your backgrounds are different. Acceptance doesn't mean there's no room for change. But you accept that the honors of change, the burden of change, you can help to restore, but it lies with Almighty God. Like the priest, St. Francis of Xavier said, he said, Lord, grant me the courage to change the things that I can change. Grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change. And grant me the wisdom to know the difference. Amen? The Bible says, that which God has made crooked, who can make straight? My husband was talking to me some time ago. We were just having a chat. And he said to me, have you seen anything straight that God has made? I said, well, let me think. He said, none. Trees are not straight. Leaves are not straight. Um, shorelines are not straight. Um, ridges and mountains are not straight, but in all of it, you see God's beauty. That's why your partner is not you and you are not your partner. So that the beauty of the Lord can come out. So the key of acceptance. Amen? When you are newly married, sometimes you are happy, and then you think, oh, I'm happy, but my happiness is like 85%. If only this 15% would change, then I'll have paradise. So you leave the 85 and you put all your energy on the so-called 15 that is not working. And before you know, even the 85 has been destroyed. So please, in resolving conflict, we need to come to that place where we recognize that there are certain things that we cannot change. Only God can change. Sometimes you have to look at the good things that you can celebrate in your spouse the good thing that you can celebrate in your church, the good things that you can celebrate in your pastor, the good thing that you can celebrate as brethren, you have to look at that so that you are not clouded and overshadowed 
by that which you think you cannot accept. The key of acceptance. It's a whole chapter in the marriage manual. And I will encourage you to get a copy so that you can tap into the knowledge. Because knowledge is power. For lack of knowledge, God's people, they perish. Amen. So the key of acceptance. Now, before I even go on, what are the many and major problem areas in marriage? Communication is one of them. Sex is one of them. Money is one of them. Different temperaments. Children. In-laws. Jobs. Housework. Infidelity. So many things are problem areas of marriage. But one of the key areas is communication. Because if you're able to communicate about your sex life, then there'll be a breakthrough. If you're able to communicate about in-laws, then there'll be a breakthrough. If you're able to communicate about finances, then it's likely there'll be a breakthrough. So communication is one of the things that we lack the most. And that's why I'm giving these keys of number one in communicating have the aim of restoration, have the aim of speaking the truth in love, have the aim of helping your partner grow with whatever you are coming to talk about or whatever you are trying to come and solve. Amen. So now we talked about the key of acceptance. The third key is be ready to compromise. Acceptance is a, is a form of compromise. Be ready to compromise. Amen? Be ready to compromise. Some of us, we come to the table with no mind to compromise at all. He's wrong, and that's it. She's wrong, and that's it. But God is calling us to a place of compromise. Now, in the Bible, people like to quote Ephesians 5 especially 22. Wives, submit unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. It's a powerful scripture. I subscribe to it. And I know that God is wiser than all of us put together. I also subscribe to the fact that God said, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. But Ephesians 5, before it comes to 22, there's a 21. And the 21 says, submitting yourselves one to the other, one to another. Submitting yourselves one to another. Whether you are a man, whether you are a woman, whether you are a child, whether you are a sister, whether you are a brother, submitting yourselves one to another. Before it comes to 22 to say, wives, Submit unto your own husbands. So submission is not something for just ladies. Although it is a good place for role, the role of the woman is to submit to the headship of the man. No problem. But you, the brother also, you are supposed to submit one to another and also submit to authority and also to submit to his word and also to submit to God. Submission is not a bad thing. But sometimes it's preached in such a way that when people hear, I don't want to hear the submission. But if you go through the Bible, 
It says, submit to those in authority over you. It says, submit one to another. It says, submit to the emperor or to the king. I mean, all these are submissions. So why do we have a problem with God's word? It's the way it has sometimes been presented. So we have to be willing to compromise. Amen, somebody. Now, many conflicts lack compromise. That's why the Israeli and Egyptian war, Israeli and Arabic war, Palestinian war is on. Because ah, they'll say ceasefire. After that, they'll go back. They'll say ceasefire. Then Iran will say, I don't recognize Israel. Israel is not a country that exists. It should be wiped off the face of the earth. No compromise. No compromise. Where should they go? They don't have a state. They got a state through wars. Now you are saying you don't recognize them. That is not compromise. And that doesn't break peace. And so it is in our homes. And so it is in our relationships. Because everybody feels right. Everybody takes an entrenched position. And nobody is prepared to give in. So we need to do things in the spirit of compromise. I want us to read Philippians chapter 2. From verse 3 to 4. Philippians 2, 3 to 4. Let nothing, not some things, be done through strife of vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem the other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Amen. I don't think we practice this in our lives. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, count the other better than yourself. That is a spirit of compromise. Count the other person's ideas, the other person's uh, interests, the other person's things that he holds precious. Count it better than yours. And if the other person also counts mine better than his, then it's a win-win situation. The Bible has all the answers. Let nothing be done through strife. But we want to strive. You want always to be right. And when you are right, then what? When you are right, then what? Amen, brethren. Why do you win your wars and lose the battle? It's not worth it. Let nothing be done through strife. That's quarreling. And vain glory. You want to show that you are a big boss. But in lowliness of mind, the way you think. Let each esteem the other. The other. The other. When your wife cooks, it's not always nice. But she has stood on her feet for two hours to make that pop and that bohebili nama. So don't count yourself better that it's not good. So I just shove it aside. I'm angry. Somebody said, Lady Reverend, I was so angry. I contracted a caterer for one month to cook for me and put in plastic. So I know Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and he was saying it with pride to me. As his wife sat down there and I said, where is the Christ in you? Vain glory. I've shown her power. I've shown her where power lies. These are the things that make uh, a conflict resolution a problem. Always count others better than yourselves. In fact, English Standard uh, Version says, 
count others more significant than yourself. Can you do that? Count the other person's opinion. Count where the other person is coming from. The other person's feelings better than your own. Oh, we would have a win-win situation in all our relationships and in our lives if we could do this. Amen. I pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to us and change us for good. Now we say in, in our marriage counseling that Ephesians 4 verse 29, when you are coming to talk, it's not just what you are coming to say, but the how, a word fitly spoken, the Bible says, is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. The Bible says there's a time for everything. Communication is not always talking. You have talked and talked and talked. You have clapped. You have jeered. You have jumped. You have shouted. You have insulted. It's not working. Why do you keep using that method? It's time to use a godly method. Let your speech minister grace to the people that hear you. No shouting. No yelling. All those things break down and worsen conflicts. And the things we say when we are angry. When you are emotional, don't talk because you are mad. That's why the Americans, when they are angry, they say, I was mad. Because you are really in lunacy mode. Amen? So if our speech is going to minister grace, we need to know how and what. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. The book of Proverbs says, and we will eat of the fish. I will divorce you. I regret marrying you. Uh, uh, my, my former girlfriend is better than you. Lunacy has set in. Satan has taken over. Because your speech is not ministering grace. Conflict resolution will affect your tongue. You will sing before you speak. The Bible says there's a time to be silent. It's not every day you have to talk. It's not every day you have to say something. Sometimes your silence will speak words. Your silence will change something. It's not every day you have to say, I told you so. The person can see that you told him so. Amen. So let our speech, the manner, the way, Ladies, we like to throw our hands. Eh? And the one I was please, I know that it comes easily, but God will help us. Some of you men, to you visit with your, your, your slaps. Let your speech minister grace. When you are angry, when you are upset, maybe you don't have to talk. What does the Bible say? Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. But we have turned it round. We are quick to speak. Slow to hear and quick to anger. May the Lord deliver us and lead us to conflict resolution. Amen. Finally, have a forgiving spirit. Have a forgiving spirit. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Reading from verse 13. Amen. Colossians chapter Colossians is in the New Testament, please. Don't tell me you didn't know that. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel, Bible law. He didn't say if any man has a party, a quarrel. He's writing to Christians. Forbearing one another. If any man have a quarrel. So Christians have quarrels too. Sometimes more dangerous than the world. Against any. 
even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Now, what I like about this verse is forbearing one another. What does it mean to forbear, to put up with? It's not everything that's going to change. It's not everything that your mom power can change. The Bible says the battle belongs to the Lord. Beloved, after 32 so years of marriage, not after, but even during, I thank God for the wisdom to know that some battles belong to the Lord. And I've seen God come through victoriously when I've given the battle to him. Conflict resolution in relationships. Let's take the word of God in a spirit of humility. Let's go forth and resolve the conflicts and the ones that we cannot do. Let's come to the throne room of grace and let's tell him, Lord, I'm not able. But with you, all things are possible. And for anything that you want me to forbear, give me grace, give me strength, give me endurance. And Lord, you said, no temptation has overtaken man. That is not common to man. That you are faithful, you provide a way of escape. Lord, in your wisdom, show me the way of escape. I speak healing to broken homes, broken relationships. You say, Lady Reverend, it's, it's beyond resuscitation. He says he'll give you beauty for ashes. He doesn't tell you how, but he's God. And with him, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Conflict resolution in the church. Let hearts be healed. Let things go. Yes, they offended you. Yes, it was wrong. But God is the one who lifts up and the one who promotes. Joseph went through so much, but God will give you so much glory that the shame will be covered. Let there be restoration. Let there be healing. Let there be a new beginning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, before I take my seat, you know, sometimes I get sad that altar calls come after, but they should. And it gives the impression that it's the most unimportant part of the service and that it's just something that ought to be done. But beloved, it's a call to make a choice between eternity in hell and eternity in heaven. It's a call to make a decision as to who will live in your life and who will be the Lord and the master of your life. It's a call to come to him who is able to carry all our burdens and give us a new life and give us meaning and prepare us for eternity and come and live in us and make a difference and dispel the darkness. Before I take my seat, you are here. It doesn't matter if you are a church boy or a church girl. God knows that you've been playing games with him. You want to say, Lady Reverend, pray with me. I want to start a new step with Christ, new life in Jesus Christ. God is a restorer. He's calling you to make a change and to turn around. If you are like that here, just pray with me and I believe God is hearing. Heavenly Father, today I come to you just as I am. Lord, take my life, the shambles of my life, and come into my heart and be the Lord the master and the king. Cleanse me from all my sins, Jesus. And thank you for the cross and for the resurrection by which I receive new life. And from today, by your power and your grace, I walk in the newness of life. Amen and amen. Father, let there be restoration on every level. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. It was great having you today. To find out more about the resources available by Adelaide Heward Mills, please visit the Vision Bookshop. 
at the Kodesh, North Kaneshi. Or meet her on Facebook at Reverend Mrs. Adelaide Heward Mills. For prayer and counseling, please call 0243-187-900. You can also drop us an email at honeyonmylips at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, God richly bless you.